A rogue and a wizard walk into a bard. The bard says, that's derivative. Welcome to another episode of Rogue Wizard Bard Podcast, where we debate different DMing concepts. Here today is myself, Cole, Clint. Hello. Emilia. This is my voice. Remember, it will be important later. Sam. Hello. We have a few guests this episode. Uh, We have Allie. Hello. Anton. Hello. And for the first time ever, Connor. Hey guys, how's it going? This week's episode is going to be about getting inspiration. And I think we should jump right in and talk about what Ali said. I believe what we're going to be talking about is what do you all use inspiration for the most? Uh, I personally find myself using inspiration the most for like starting campaigns. Um, I come up with a lot of different gimmicks and I really just want to see how they would fit into an actual world. Yeah, I would agree. I tend to find I use inspiration most when I'm not running a campaign and something will happen. They'll be like, oh, I want to make a campaign out of that. Yeah, I can agree with that as well. Uh, My inspiration really comes from my conversations that I'll have mostly with somebody somebody else that I DM with. My girlfriend, unfortunately, she's not here. We bounce ideas back and forth off of each other all the time. And it's really just coming off of our own common interests. And we thought, hey, you know, that could be fun to go and, you know, turn into a DM thing. I think you bring up a good point with common interests. I think that's a really good place to like start is just like, what are you interested in? Because what you're familiar with is going to be the most comfortable to draw sources from. Yeah, I think um, that sort of touches on something that I think I actually mentioned last time I guested, which is that I do kind of shape campaigns around who I'm expecting to be my players. So when it comes to what I'm using outside inspiration for, that does kind of depend on what I know those people like, and can I sort of avoid content that they're familiar with, but also sort of use content that I know will appeal to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I do something kind of similar. I'll usually if I'm watching something that that'll start as an inspiration point for at least a scene for for overarching ideas. um, I have a I have a notebook. Uh, a digital one, not a physical one, because I'm not cool like that. Thing, when whenever I have an a overarching idea for a setting, I'll just categorize it like that, and then it'll be like a sentence, and then I sit down and put broad strokes, and then the scene by scene, and the scene by scene is inspired by the unique media. While I try and keep the overarching things not original, original, but not directly uh, derivative. I I do the exact same thing where I sort of have a notebook that I uh, just write whatever crazy dreams I have, just like any sources of inspiration that come to me, I'll write in there. Yeah, I think that there's something to like what Anton said about the difference between sort of taking inspiration from something for scene by scene versus overarching. I think that when I think about an overarching plot, I might sort of think about which tropes appeal to me, especially because... I've only DM'd for so many campaigns or stories, and so I feel okay relying on trope. But when I'm taking like inspiration from a very specific piece of media, I think very often that is it does look like somebody says a pun, and I think about I could make that a thing in D and D. For example, I think that Cole has heard extensively about how excited I was about like tabaxi that are the Japanese mafia call that the nyakuza. You know, like <laughs> I thought that was I good. Do remember I thought that, that was good. Um, and like, I had a really good time revealing that to my players and sort of, they spent a lot of time in that plot before I was like, do you guys understand the the pun that you're sort of interacting with in game? And I think something like that is fun for, again, sort of the idea of scene by scene versus the overarching. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, Ali. That idea of a scene by scene plot point, I guess would really, really be interesting. And that's kind of something that I would do as well, though, primarily it's 
for my type of thing is I'll take that idea of like what you would say is like the Yakuza and which by the way, a fantastic name, but I would take that and run it over the course of an entire D and D campaign. So I guess I'm a little bit more on a broad stroke kind of person. I really enjoy running through concepts on historical types of media. Like, for instance, I'm obsessed with Irish literature right around now, and I totally want to go and run a campaign along Irish literature and other things in the British Isles to go and create that sort of like real world mysticism, but still have the D&D aspects thrown into it. And I still need to work out 90% of everything, but the concept is definitely there, and I want to delve more into it afterwards. But my inspiration is very strong from that. It's kind of interesting. We kind of brought up this point of overarching inspiration versus like scene by scene or maybe like shorter term inspiration. I think I find myself in over team overarching. I will start my campaign with what is the plot line? What do we do at the beginning and the end? We'll figure out the middle. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> wherever I get my inspiration, I'm like, oh, that's a cool plot element. Let's uh, see where that fits in this plot line. Uh, is this where I want us to begin or end or do i want this to be the climax and i'll start from whatever point that is and then work around it all right let's go uh i think i find myself on team emilio um (laughs) yeah as far as i guess taking that overarching theme rather than you know a scene by scene thing uh one of the things that i do definitely not the only one but i think it might be my primary way of using my sources of inspiration is rather than looking at a specific like trope or element or something like that i look at the questions it poses i really like moral quandaries i really like making my players ask moral quandaries one because they're very interesting just to see how people approach them and two because i think it helps them define their characters a little more which helps further like the role-playing aspect of the game going forward so what i'll do is i'll look for things that really make me ask questions that are hard to answer and i'll find a different way to ask the same question within the flavor of whatever campaign I'm running. I just want to say I absolutely love moral quandaries and like (laughs) hard agree on that. But for the sake of not being on Team Emilio, I'm going to throw in a sort of third option between the overarching campaign and the scene by scene. And that is the one shot. Um, I know I subjected Emilio's group to at least two or three one shots of varying quality. And all of those were inspired by very like specific things. And I think that's also a valid source to draw inspiration from. And nobody can argue with that because I got the last word on this. Thank you, Clint. <laughs> you're welcome. So moving on from uh, what you're using it for, places to look. First one is going to be popular media. And a question I'd also like to pose is the danger of will other people know? Probably with popular media. What are your guys' thoughts? That super depends on what you're going for. Uh, plot twists are not something that you want them to know ahead of time. But if, if they're going to go, oh, I recognize this because I saw it in Avatar or something, that can be kind of fun. But if they're sitting there and like, oh, that guy's going to betray us, and it's like super important that we don't trust him despite having no in-world knowledge that he's going to betray us, that can be really bad. But then it also raises a bunch of questions like, well, just how recognizable is it? Yeah, just how recognizable is it and how predictable of 
are you as a GM? Because if they at least think that maybe you're going to change the story enough that they might not betray you, uh, then it doesn't matter as much. But if you're a super predictable GM, you don't want to have super predictable plot twists from a trope, at least. Try and keep that close to the vest. I agree. Drawing from popular media is really not my favorite thing to do. It Again, it does depend on the game. If you're going for a very like low stakes fun, then like by all means, I tend to prefer slightly more serious campaigns. And so I don't want the immersion to be broken by naming my main character Katara. It doesn't appeal to me very much. So I personally think that like using popular media in that lighthearted sense is actually fantastic. Uh, because of the fact that it, it brings that, it brings your lives, uh, the lives of the players externally into that real world thing where I can totally understand the point of wanting to get away from it all when you're playing D&D, but adding at least some of the more lighthearted aspects of popular media into your campaign makes it more relatable. And it's something that is, if all of your players end up enjoying it, they can either absorb themselves in the popular media or absorb their, themselves more into your campaign because of the fact of that you're creating something that's sort of like a spin-off to the world that already exists in that popular media and creates the individuality without needing that whole creative process that seems like the wrong way to say it, but it's not as much creative work, which saves you a little bit more stress. I would say it depends on what you're using it for. If you're trying to get unique characters, not a good idea because they're not going to be unique since it's popular media. That's the essence of popular media. But if you're looking for things like fun mechanics, just because it's a laser sword and not a lightsaber, it's still a fun thing. Or even just using popular media to grab mechanics that people can understand. Like if you were to try and homebrew a magic system, you're just like, it functions like Harry Potter's magic system. You say a word and have your wand and you cast the spell. You could have a totally non-Harry Potter campaign, but people intuitively get popular mechanics. Well, okay, popular mechanics, not the, uh, the magazine necessarily, but mechanics in popular media. People will understand mechanics from popular media. So if you're trying to explain like that or homebrew like that, it helps. And then the other thing is, I don't think little bits of popular media is a good idea, because if you're in a normal fantasy setting or whatever, and you throw in a little bit of like, oh, and you see Gandalf, but it's not Lord of the Rings, but Gandalf's there. It sort of breaks that world, has this sort of icky feeling to me, where it's like, hey, guys, look, Gandalf, we like Gandalf, right? Oh, well, now the whole other rest of the world's kind of, it's just Gandalf now. You break that immersion. I've been trying to avoid using the phrase, but you break the immersion. Now, if you are playing a Lord of the Rings campaign and you see Gandalf, great. That's fun and that's what's expected. It doesn't break my immersion. Yeah, I think we're almost sort of drilling into if you're going to use popular media that's very easily recognizable, you have to lean into that and you have to be trying to use the traits of that on purpose. For example, I have a friend who is a DM in her personal life and a voice actress in her professional life. And so she'll create her own characters who have their own motivations, but she might emulate the voice of a cartoon character who shares some personality traits with that character to sort of impart like as much meaning to her players as quickly as possible. So if they recognize that voice, they sort of fundamentally understand something about the character that makes them excited to get to know them. And the first time I saw her do that, I was particularly like struck by the way that she does it. And I think that that's sort of what what I want to do is like, it can't be Gandalf, but 
I'm trying to think of like a more a more minor character. I think it really is just if you're using it for comedy or for lightheartedness or if you're using it seriously, it just has to align with your world and specifically when it comes to using popular characters. I really I think that you almost have to be relying on what that becomes shorthand for in a way like you have to be using them in the same way you would use a trope. Um, not to sort of make light of your game or of your storytelling abilities, but to amplify them or like give yourself a shortcut in that way. I think it's more so something like that. Yeah, I think you and Connor made a really good point of like, it does shortline and streamline the creative process a lot. Clint, the, the Gandalf example. So I think from my point of view, I've used a lot of popular media inspiration things. And a lot of obscure things too, uh, to draw, to make characters. I would never just drop Gandalf into a campaign, even though I am comedy adventure for life. I would drop Gandalf characteristics, basically him in every way, change his name. And then that slight modification of a different name can evolve him, basically Gandalf, into a different character. And that's how I've gotten a lot of my characters to become a lot of different people because they start as basically this character I like and evolve into like just completely different people. Which I think through play easily, easily happens as they develop. Yeah. But if you put it in as a copy of a popular character, they cannot change because if they change, they are no longer that popular character. So therefore you're sort of forced to either have them be static or then you get into a weird dichotomy where you're like, I'm playing this character, but now he's changed. He's not really this character, but in everybody's minds, you hear Gandalf and you think that character. That was a very good way to put what I just said. Uh, any other closing thoughts before moving on to the next step? Emilio, would you like to derail the whole campaign? Oh, I just hate the... <laughs> I hate the term popular media. That's it. That's why that's in the notes. I just think it's a weird term. That's it. That's my derail. Interesting. Well, now we're in obscure media. Basically, taking things from sources that you don't expect your players to know. And possibly just straight ripping off from sources oh. that you just hope your players won't get. I think, I think this is <laughs> a lot more everything goes. Um, I have like... <laughs> unashamed stolen basically everything from house of leaves read the book it's fantastic i regret nothing and i think it comes from a little sense of like you really enjoyed this like obscure media you've tried to make all of your friends read the book and they didn't and so you have to force upon it upon them in a different way <laughs> so in terms of obscure media that's something where i can definitely draw that irish literature in Though this itself is not, uh, the overarching plot point for the campaign I'm doing is not from Irish uh, literature, it's actually from English and Scottish. The whole history of the, the Stone of Destiny, or the Stone of Scone, where the English take uh, a stone that's involved for the crowning of Scottish kings, and they take it to Westminster Abbey, and there are these college students on Christmas that steal the stone from Westminster Abbey and bring it back up to uh, Scotland to then, re, you know, return it to its rightful place. And that's the whole overarching point of my campaign that I'm going to be starting. And I'm going to be throwing in all different sorts of British, British literature and uh, mythology. It's a direct rip 
from actual history. But I think it would be a fantastic comedy campaign because I am definitely team comedy adventure. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, I, I'm here for, you know, a good time. I, I don't think that necessarily everything needs to be very dark and somber. I definitely think that that should be thrown in. But the sense of adventure is definitely what drives me to be a DM and create these different campaigns because it's just fun. Yeah, I was just going to say, for all of you Dark and Stormy DMs out there, um, <laughs> history is also a really great one for that, too. Uh, just saying, there's nothing more deprived than the human mind, and we have so much history of that. So go look into it. It's fun. I mean, yeah, who would have guessed that like the human events that made it into history make actually interesting stories? Well, um, but yeah, I am, I am super for using uh, niche media as inspiration. And I think a big reason why is, like, if you want a good story, a good world, it has to be very thoroughly fleshed out, you know? And unless you want to start from the ground up and write a, a, a whole book by yourself, best shortcut to that is by using something that already exists and has that level of fleshing out. But, you know, like we said, with popular media, you don't want that to be be something that your players can recognize immediately. And so we go to the smaller and more interesting things. So what I'm getting at is either be J.R.L. Uh, Tolkien or steal from weird parts of media. Perhaps. <laughs> Correct. And I think the reason you can get away with stealing more in obscure media and like knowing they aren't going to see it is because the discovery of the world is like the like connor was saying like the adventure comes from discovering things and if you say you guys are playing in lord of the rings there's really not that much to discover yeah like really i, I think the um the most important thing what i'm looking at uh, at popular media to take from for that type of thing is if you can abstract it one down. Uh, before uh, uh, Sam said that, wow, like it's crazy that history can be interesting. Um, I totally had the same like mindset until like uh, around I think tenth grade. But the way it happened is I was like really into Star Wars, and then a history teacher was well, this is exactly what happens in Star Wars. And I was like, wait, what? So when you look at the Star Wars stuff, which you're already really into, and you're trying to run something that's like vaguely similar. If you abstract it one level to the history inspiration of that, it keeps the same vibe because it's still that like undertone. But anything you put on top of it, it now has a level of abstraction which doesn't make it immediately recognizable. So if you do want to take something that's like super iconic, just see what inspired that. Because usually there's something like Tolkien with a lot of mythology, like actual mythology. I really like Obscure Mania because it's fun. Uh, I love injecting just random stuff that no one will get. And that's where the fun of it is for me. Oh yeah, you know that character name? I totally stole that. And you'll never figure out where it's from. And that makes me really happy for some reason. All right. So basically, it seems that we can all agree blatantly ripping off obscure media. Because if it's obscure enough, then nobody's going to get it. I just think that like in contrasting the two... What maybe we're sort of getting at as a conclusion not not that we can necessarily draw one but if you're drawing from popular media you probably should expect it to get recognized and so in some way you should be weaponizing that it will be recognized or utilizing i guess is a better word but weaponizing is funny no, no, that that's your ground. Yeah. yeah 
weaponizing. We're here to hurt our players. Versus that obscure media, it's specifically that it won't be recognized is the aspect that we are weaponizing. And so in that sense, it's, I feel like when I draw from obscure media, interestingly enough, like it's much more so like this specific, that's the place where I would like draw a voice from and be like, I know that this conveys this feeling, but they don't, they don't know that that's why I know that, but they'll just be like, oh man, that's such a suitable voice or like atmosphere or setting for this one scene because like that mood has already been created by somebody else. And I know that that won't be recognized by them. So on obscure media, what do you guys do if somebody recognizes that you uh, straight ripped off and we're trying to pass it off? <laughs> Cry. Gaslight them. <laughs> so you can do that, or I just like super lean into it. I usually expect and talk to my players about what I'm ripping off once it becomes no longer like a plot point thing. Case in point, I'm running a, a Pathfinder campaign, which I think every time I'm on the show, I reference it because there's nothing else I do these days. She is a slayer, as in like the Doom Slayer. And like I even I ripped like some audio from the games to pass her as dreams. Uh, and I knew that Sam hadn't played it yet. So I was like, yeah, like it's super going to get recognized once anyone else hears it. And as soon as it became like, oh, you are the slayer, like have fun. And I use the phrase ripping and tearing. That's when it's in full, like, yeah, lean into it, make it a meme. And then also they tell them like, hey, it's okay if you don't actually go like full on that. But as as far as uh, how you're going to be treated in this like role, that then she's been selected for like that's how the world kind of wants her to be so her story can also be rebelling against that but as far as inspiration goes don't even try and hide it in the regard for if a player goes and like discovers that you're ripping off media i think realistically if you've done your campaign planning correct or you've done it right you still have that element of mystery to no matter how much they learn about that obscure media it still isn't going to tell them everything about your campaign. I think that realistically, because of my philosophy of being team overarching or team Amelia, whichever you <laughs> want to describe it as. I like this. <laughs> that obscure media is taking that overarching point and you yourself are adding that twist to everything else in, in the world that you've created. That allows for anybody to learn about the whole idea behind your campaign, but still allows you to have the ability to play along with the way that you've been continuing it because yours is is a ripoff, but is also not a ripoff by some weird definition. Yeah, I think that kind of goes back to what Cole said about gaslighting them, <laughs> um, which is that- <laughs> No! <laughs> you, you can't convince someone that it has always been your plan to change the ending, right? So even if you've followed a story completely beat by beat and it was your intention to see it through to the end in that way, if you're found out, I do think that, again, phrasing it more adversarial than necessary, um, but if you're found out, you can commit to changing it yourself or to just gaslighting your players into believing you will and then they're surprised by that you didn't. And either way, you've surprised them with the ending. <laughs> So you've won. Scared of playing in one of your campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had to do this, but I also I also think something that might be worth mentioning. 
<laughs> can we do a tier list later of like the um, scariest Halloween GMs episode? You know, <laughs> we rank all the GMs based on the scariness. <laughs> Ali's a guest because we can't handle her as a host. <laughs> Too powerful. So what I'm hearing is she needs to be a guest. <laughs> I also think that there's something to be said about like, do we have like a responsibility at some point to credit someone else's work? And like, if you're in a group of three or four of your closest peers like and you're not broadcasting or publishing it the answer might be no but i do think that there is a point at which once you've established in their minds that you are a good storyteller and this information won't ruin that perception i do think you should probably mention hey if you thought these ideas were really neat you should probably check out this work after the fact you know um i think that that's reasonable just real quick uh the the current campaign i'm running do do just something called like links to cool things um because it can spark like really awesome conversations the one thing i wanted to say is another good solution to players discovering where you've stolen this from uh and i think the most straightforward one is just say hey stop it stop reading that i'm using it wait until after i think that can avoid issues as well just talking it out is usually the best solution Yeah, 100% agree. Like, sometimes all you can do um, is just be meta. But I also wanted to speak on the topic of, you know, letting your players know, giving credit where you got your ideas from afterwards. I'm 100% the kind of person that will immediately be like, by the way, I stole all of this because, I mean, much like Cole with the House of Leaves, I kind of use campaigns as a vehicle through which I can bring the essence of these things that I love to my friends. And then afterwards, I'm like, okay, if you liked that, now you have to look at this thing now. <laughs> Get more. So um, where I take most of my stuff, direct rips happen to be characters and character names where a character name will reference, just be a reference to something else I like. Uh, and maybe they have a shared characteristic, but the character that I'm portraying is completely different, right? Or direct rip, like I said with Gandalf, like this is basically Gandalf, but different name. And this allows me to evolve each category of character into completely different from what they started from. And what I found is that when someone does be like, hey, I know that one, it doesn't really matter because they're going to end up different people anyway after like even within a one session uh, an npc can evolve into i figured out who this person is now so it doesn't really matter because in the end i've added my own twist on whatever it is i took or sort of took sounds like team gaslighting <laughs> mayhaps <laughs> all right so it seems like trying to play it off if you can and then if you can't just being like behind the curtain here it is I couldn't trick you. Yep, I ripped it off. But don't go too far, please. Thanks. No spoilers. So, now a fun round. Going alphabetically. A odd source that you like to pull your rips from that is sort of underground. So, like, not movies or something like that. But something that's just weird or unique that you enjoy finding mm. as a source. Sort of as a, as a medium, not necessarily a specific book or a specific movie something like ant hills is that yours so we'll... no, <laughs> but we're gonna start with ali and just go alphabetically 
<laughs> so like something as a, a category, would you say? Yeah, a category of things with which you get uh, inspiration or an action or something. I feel like I shouldn't repeat my puns point, but that is what's coming to me because I feel like what I like to do when it comes to, you know, again, something that won't be recognized is, you know, perhaps even like a, a popular text post or, or meme that's like gotten some traction and just being like, I can, I can, I could probably just put this in my campaign, you know, but I think, I think that's, a literal meme campaign. Yeah. But you know, like what if, what if I took it really serious? I don't know. I don't know if I, like I'm as I'm saying it. I'm like that might be cringe. But, <laughs> um, like your players have fun. It's not cringe. Yeah, right. I think something like that, or again, like puns. Like if so, if somebody makes a joke, I might go. That's in my campaign now. E- easy, you know. So I think I think that counts, perhaps as a category of things. So we would be doing Anton next, but he's going to be bumped down to T instead of A, and I suppose that puts me going next. So my source... He left call on purpose as coward. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Cowards go last. <laughs> so the source that I find to be actually quite effective is setting a campaign in the modern day so you can use all modern day references without it being like, wait, what? why are you talking about that? Generally, especially if you can be like, suddenly there's magic in the world, but everything up until now has been normal. So if your players are like, okay, we need to go kidnap George Clooney, Okay, go kidnap George Clooney. It doesn't break the world. George Clooney exists. Oh, I need to make a George Clooney dungeon? George Clooney's mansion. All right, I have an image of his mansion. I now kind of know what his dungeon looks like. Let's go kidnap George Clooney. It's Nicolas Cage, but all the time. Exactly. I'm going to use a strange... My strange source will be old D&D campaigns. I like the visual of just digging through the garbage that is other people's campaigns i'm not calling them garbage i'm just saying like completed campaigns and just like finding the scraps that i like and shoving them in my current campaigns or future campaigns uh is something i very much enjoy doing as someone is like telling me about their like DD campaign that's going on i'm just nodding and thinking i'm gonna take that i'm gonna take that i'm gonna take that i think other DD campaigns is a great source because if you're stealing information why not or if you're stealing inspiration, why not steal from people who already stole the inspiration? I mean, so I guess you, stealing from the stealer already, I guess, doesn't really increase the amount of stealing yes. directly? <laughs> sure. I guess from my obscure source of media that I tend to gravitate towards would definitely be like History Channel slash Discovery Channel slash national geographic documentaries on civilizations usually end up being ancient that allows me to get a lot of inspiration for the overarching thing because i am team overarch slash team emilio (laughs) (laughs) and just learning about the different societies allows me to create you know what what would it be like for people to deal with magic in something that happened in history and those kinds of things are they're really really fun to play with because it's stuff that already happened and you then come up with all right how can we sort of make that happen with magic involved but also not directly make that happen like don't railroad my players into making it happen they're gonna make that decision for themselves and lightsabers <laughs> uh sure why not? 
sacrificing is about to be a lot more bright. As uh, my name is Emilio, I am next in the queue based on the alphabet. Um, I'm just looking through my my notepad of story ideas that I have. It has been mentioned before. Write down your ideas. You'll forget them. I tend to get ideas right before I go to sleep. And I think I'm going to remember that in the morning. First thing I think of when I wake up in the morning is, wow, I forgot whatever I thought of. I remembered enough to say to think that I forgot it. And that sucks. But on that, I have gotten ideas from dreams I had. And what is really weird, I will use this example. I had a dream in like high school, like 2017, mind you, right? And I'm like, that's a really cool story of a dream. I tell my cousin about it, think nothing of it. Two years later, I write a short story adaptation of my dream. And now I'm like, hey, this could evolve into something else, something more. <laughs> so write down your dreams or just write down anything you think of. You will forget it. Please don't forget your good ideas. Uh, I really chose this this source of inspiration more because it's obscure and, and less because it's, it's one that I use commonly. But it is an interesting one um, that I've used a couple times, especially when generating characters, which to me are very important to stories. Stories are about people. Uh, that's how I always write. Um, if you've ever played a system called Shadow of the Demon Lord, pretty much everything about your character comes down to dice rolls. That includes, like, what class you are, what race you are, like, how old you are, what your social standing is, how many siblings you have, how many of them are dead. And the thing is, like, you know, sometimes life just doesn't make sense. And sometimes rolling the dice on those kind of things can make something that is more true to real life than you know making something that is like self-contained and i guess the most fun part is just like when weird anomalies occur where you know he is some very high up politician but he's also super poor and you as as the person creating this character now have to come up with a reason why that is must be an interesting story um so yeah, RNG always always comes with interesting opportunities. So branching off that, how do the rest of y'all feel about RNG and its place in inspiration? Do you guys just throw a bunch of dice and that's your world? Or is it a sort of, we're going to use this very sparingly and only when we need to? I am team very, very sparingly. Before we fully transition to this topic, one other thing that I wanted to mention was songs. Because I think even though it is technically popular media, I think songs are another really great inspiration source. I mean, there's plenty of un or obscure songs. Yeah, exactly. But I think like song as a media or a medium is very, very popular. Mm -hmm. But yes, I am team very sparingly. You should build your world with love. You should not randomize it. Sam, you are wrong. <laughs> I specifically said that I don't use it often. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ally myself with Sam here. In the sense of, I think that there's something about, I don't actually randomize, I haven't randomized anything in the campaign that I'm currently running, but I think that there's something about the love that you put in is reconciling the randomness that the dice prevents to you that is very, like, I think, like Sam said, like adds an element of, if not realism to the story, like something that is compelling because of how it is adjacent to realism, where rather than everything making sense, which is not really how things are, um, you have to do the work to make it make sense. 
And for things I don't know a lot about, I sometimes prefer to randomize. Um, I haven't done this for something that I've run, but I remember when I was younger, like taking a handful of beads and like throwing it on the ground and being like, all the green ones are forests and all the gray ones are mountains and all the blue ones are water. And now I have a map and like I drew the map and I, you know, and I had to make it make sense, right? Like now where do the people go based on this? And so like that there's a compelling story that's told by that. Like I had to figure out where the farmland goes and all that. Um, so I think that using randomness to inspire love and care and attention for your story is, I think, compelling, like for players and for you as the story writer. Yeah, I would definitely agree with Ali on that statement. I think uh, randomness is definitely good for an inspiration point. I personally don't tend to prefer to use RNG in, say, my storytelling elements outside of like physical characteristics. Because of the fact of that, my luck with RNG is terrible. Ask literally anyone. I am incredibly unlucky uh, when it comes to RNG. But um, like for a map, I'll randomize. I'll use randomization all the time for the way that certain things are done, at least in terms of numeric. I can do that randomly. But when it comes to the detail work, I need to have that attention put in that randomness doesn't really work out for me well enough into a satisfying point where I can say, yeah, I'm willing to host this as a campaign. I, I can't do that off of just numbers. Not wanting to incorporate RNG into D&D is funny. Um, right. <laughs> You're right. Um, but I'm going to argue, like, all of you are saying, like, oh, randomness is good, and yet are saying you don't often use I'll use it for a map all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, for a map, but I don't know. It just, I dislike drawing from randomness, personally. I, I think uh, a really big question to ask yourself, if you're about to use randomness for something, is how okay are you going to be if it doesn't go well? Um, when it comes only when it comes to story writing, don't pull your punches on your on your players. <laughs> um, because I have done two types of actual randomness in campaigns, and it's all non-essential stuff. Um, I made probability maps on the world map. Uh, so basically, what that means, uh, and this is a term that's like ripped from video game design or probability fields. Sorry is basically uh, there are uh, fields that are changing on the map uh, that contain the probabilities for certain things happening. And I had that be, for one thing, optional encounters that include heavy story elements. So basically, if they got lucky, they would know what was happening at the end, but it wasn't actually important that they did. And if they did go explore the world, it, it was meant to incentivize not necessarily wasting their time. Because the entire thing was you have like 12 hours to do a thing. So it was like heavily premise with you may not actually know what's going on that doesn't mean you failed as long as you do the thing you came to do uh and then the second thing uh, aside from random encounters on uh that type of thing is um in social scenes having npcs like especially if you're talking to a roll random dice and maybe they'll just get really lucky and there's a bunch of really mean people in the crowd that will like cat or they'll like um to like call them out on stupid things. I think that makes it really interesting because also like that's where unless you have something where you really want the hero to feel a specific way after talking to a large group of people, 
um, having a random distribution can give your players like memes to fix on um, and do things like, oh yeah, remember when that city and they're all just really mean to us? And you're over there like, yeah, that was totally random, but like, perfect. Because it can save you time on the back end for something which at the time is really inconsequential. My typical use is more so I use random generators and I keep doing that until I get something I like. So rather than forcing myself, especially for names and things like that, a lot of times if you just do pure random, you'll get a name that's not memorable at all. And people will be like, what was the city name again? What was that NPC's name again? So doing it until I get something I land on that feels good and fits the setting and is memorable, but not necessarily coming up with it myself, just select is my typical use of randomness. So I don't use randomness like at all. <laughs> Uh, this is a concept that I guess I was just introduced to. Uh, I would never randomize a name because a name is something fun I like to do. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't randomize a map, even though I'm terrible at drawing maps. My first map was literally like two circles within each other for a country. Um, I just don't <laughs> find fun in a random map that would be so much better than my current map. I, I do go the, the whole love and tender care throughout the whole process, even if that means a, a two-circle map. Um, I guess, like, my whole explanation as to why I think randomness is good, but I will still only use it sparingly, is because I think randomness provides a good foundation, but it shouldn't be something that is carries the campaign, you know? As far as where we start, the things that people do throughout history and the way that the world is formed, a lot of the time it's not going to make sense to you. So for you to create an entire world in a way that makes sense to you, there's a little bit lost, potentially, uh, by not having that bit of energy in there. Then once you get into the campaign, with Anton, like having a little bit of randomness in how people respond to things, like how lenient they are, is also good because, again, not everybody thinks the way that you as a GM do. But other than that, like things should make sense. You know, your narrative should follow a cause and effect. Everything should have a reason. But as far as foundations go, I think that's where randomness comes in and is a very useful tool. So before we move on, does anybody have any rebuttals or uh, points to sort of hold up against what's been brought up? Yeah, I think really quickly, um, we're sort of getting into the, like, I think a lot of what we're discussing about randomness, having been one of the more controversial ones, is like the question of using inspiration at all, right? So where it might be argued that randomness is not putting love and care into a narrative, somebody else might say, well, neither is borrowing elements from XYZ, right? Where Emilio says, I wouldn't randomize names because I love names. Somebody else might say, well, I wouldn't take names from a source, which Emilio sort of said is one of his favorite things to do when it comes to drawing inspiration, <laughs> because they're like, I love creating names. So I think that what makes sense for you in your world, which is everything, like that's always the question. But then also just, I think that like a lot of what we've discussed are sort of the larger questions of inspiration, even though a lot of them we ended up sort of being aligned on. Yeah, I think I agree. Sam, you win. Randomness is a like valid source of inspiration when used sparingly. 
I think this is a more potent tool than some of the other ones. And so I'm glad that we handled it a little more cautiously. So when you're combining all these tools, everything we've gone over, and deciding how much you want to use for inspiration in your campaign, how much when you're making this cauldron of a campaign do you feel to take? Is it having an entirely ripped off campaign or having an entirely original campaign only mixing in names, not mixing in names, but mixing in everything else. What is sort of the ideal combination or balance that you've found? Uh, how much time do I have when I answer this question? No, I mean, it is entirely due to real life um, because it, depending on where you are, um, you just may not have time to do everything that you want to do. Then you got to pick your battles. Oh, no. Uh, otherwise, there's a, a baseline that you just got to find for yourself. I think I would totally agree with that. Sometimes life gets in the way of your creative process just due to the fact of that you're constantly having to do other things to be able to support your hobby slash addiction to Dungeons and Dragons like I have. I think sometimes doing a full-on full ripoff may end up being the best possible way. Granted, you know, you're giving the credit towards those who deserve the credit. Uh, like those who created the work. My personal balance between uh, how much ripoff is an okay amount, I get the general idea from a ripoff, uh, going back to my Stone of Destiny campaign. The concept is what I'm ripping off, that whole historical event, but the intricacies going on inside of all of that, that stuff's going to be my own. And so I think that is the overall... Over overall amount of ripoff that works for me a campaign idea but the intricacies are my own uh, yeah i kind of agree that like it's different for each person like how much should go into the cauldron of like yours versus like inspiration from elsewhere i think the only hard line is that it shouldn't be zero and it shouldn't be a hundred percent they're really like each one like stuff that from your own mind and stuff from outside both offer things that are good for the campaign and so you need at least a little bit of both i wouldn't say it's always 50 50 but it's never zero 100 part of it also has to do with like what your intention and purpose is with the campaign because you know if you if you want to just meme around obviously being very referential is is it's just fun um on the other hand you know if you want to if you want to flex your writer muscles and and get real philosophical about things i think it's it's better to have a more original take on things but it, it kind of just depends on um like i it what what we kind of established before where like you know comedy adventure is going to have a different level of reference than like <laughs> grimdark historical it seems like there's a lot of inspiration versus reference versus ripoff. Where's the exact line? If I have humans in my campaign, am I ripping off nature? Am I being inspired by nature? <laughs> versus if I have some proprietary species, like let's say uh, Genosians from Star Wars in my campaign. Well, okay, that's a ripoff. But humans, nobody's complaining about those being a ripoff. Where do you find the line? Right. I sort of had a, a point lined up in response to Sam and to what was said before, but I think it kind of touched on this, which is, I think that if you want to have a campaign that is 100% derivative, it should at least be derivative of a handful of different things. 
not least because I think that there's an element of creativity in that, right? Like if I assemble the assets, I've decided where they go. And so I've made choices. And so my creative expression is sort of appears in the world in the story at some point. And also because I think if you want to play in, I, we're talking about D&D. If you want to play a D&D campaign that is 100% something else, you might be better served by finding something closer to whatever that is. So like, if you really, really want to play 100% that thing, like you might, you might just need to reread the books. I don't know, man. Um, or, or, you know, like I, I don't, I've never encountered it in the real world, but like, I promise that J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings series has its own RPG, tabletop RPG, right? Like I'm, I'm positive. I'm so convinced that that is the case. And so if you really want to play something that's 100% derivative of one thing, there are probably other options for you, even if that's something adjacent to D&D, but it's sort of meant to fulfill that purpose where you don't have to reskin, you know, well, Tolkien is kind of hard because D&D just is already reskinned Tolkien, right? But for example, if I want to play Star Wars in D&D, am I going to make, I'm failing on my, my Star Wars races, but like, am I going to make elves Twi'leks, right? Like, why am I going to do that work when there's the Star Wars RPG? Maybe just play the Star Wars RPG. Mm -hmm. I think a really good line to draw is simply how recognizable something is. If I say there's a man in all black who has a very bad breathing who goes, it's very, very obvious where it's coming from. Versus if I say there's an evil emperor overlord, I don't think that's a ripoff because there's so many things that have evil emperor overlords. Just how identifiable it is with a unique thing. Like lightsabers. Very, very identifiable. Swords. Not. Okay, so sort of, if it belongs to a unique idea or property or story, then it's more of a ripoff. Whereas if it's something that's so commonplace that it's no longer a ripoff. Like if you were to say, put harpies in your campaign, even though they're originally from mythology, it's so commonplace at this point that nobody's going to be, oh, you ripped off Greek mythology with your harpies. How dare you? Yeah, that would be entirely correct. Where it's that recognizable point is the benchmark for if you're ripping off something versus being inspired by it. Like what Cole said, if you're describing Darth Vader and you use him in your campaign, you're clearly ripping off Darth Vader. Or, you know, at the very least, very heavily inspired. But if you're describing harpies in another campaign, you, you can't really say that you're ripping off harpies from Greek mythology because harpies have existed for so long and there's so many things that are known about them from Greek mythology. It really comes into the point of it is an inspiration. You, it's hard to rip off something that is a harpy in that regard. So it almost seems like the line in the sand is the legal one. If you were to publish your campaign and you would get sued for copyright, you're ripping off. Exactly what I was going to say. So I'm here to poke a hole in my own claims because this feels like it only applies to characters. I think the line is much, much hazier when it comes to story beats and like plot points because I'm pretty sure I could get away with the exact plot of episode four and no one would even know. It's called episode seven. True. Exactly. Like Exactly, exactly. That is but my people point. knew. Yeah, people did call that out. 
But then again, you're not trying to sell it and make it a major blockbuster. Yeah, I'm trying to please half a dozen people. Yeah, I. it's interesting because there's almost the question of how close you are to the original almost seems to depend on how often the original has already been ripped off if there's a lot of iterations of a thing or of a specific you know i think that that counts for the world for a character or for a plot point i think if it's been done very often if somebody can't pinpoint a source or if they can pinpoint a source but they can't reliably say that that's where you got it you might sort of be in the territory of like that's just a trope even even if it's not quite right so i think that there's like there's wizard and there's gandalf and somewhere in between there's like neutral wizard who aids the protagonists but because they happen to be aligned with the path the world should be on right now and later maybe he'll be more neutral or more antagonistic like who knows so there's sort of there's sort of a middle ground of like the mentor right wizard the mentor wizard gandalf if you can comfortably occupy mentor wizard without occupying gandalf you're probably okay. So are there any other points that anybody would like to bring up about inspiration, ripping off, or any of the other relatedness? Uh, yeah, I'll bring up the point on inspiration, at least from like from other people personally. Uh, my, I guess I'm in a somewhat unique position from what I know from other DMs, is that a lot of inspiration that I get or a lot of my creative process is done bouncing back and forth with my girlfriend as a co-DM or just as a, I guess, a springboard for a lot of the creative process and I am for her. And so that is, it's sort of in the way of like, it helps evolve uh, my story to the next level because the fact that I'm having somebody directly giving feedback to what I'm getting instead of me sitting in that echo chamber being like, yeah, this probably sounds like a good idea, but that's because I've been thinking about it. And there's that mental process that goes on with confirmation bias of the more and more you're thinking about it, the more and more it becomes true. And so the more and more you think that something could be a good idea, the more and more you think it actually will be a good idea, rather than it actually is a good idea because someone else is saying, poke those holes, or at least attempted to poke the holes in your idea, and you've made it past that point. So I'll pivot that into the question. How do you go about planning your campaign with getting feedback with your players? How much do you keep secret versus how much do you let them know? How much when you're looking for inspiration, do you work with other people? I think we sort of brushed on that in a previous episode when we were talking about during session zero, you want to not have the world completely fleshed out for session zero because that tiny little bit of extra push is going to come from your players and what their characters are going to be will fill out the last few details of your world. So the question is more focused as well as on mechanics and things of that nature. Asking your players, hey, does this mechanic sound fun? Does that mechanic sound fun? Would you want to play a campaign set in XYZ in general? How much feedback do you look for or how much, or even from other people who aren't your players? Um, I think it's pretty important with your players. I think if you say, hey, let's play a good old game, a D&D, and then you drop them into the world of Avatar The Last Airbender, um, they might they might not want to play with you anymore. They might. But um, I think that something like that, which is so potentially integral to the character of your campaign, is probably pretty important to discuss beforehand. I think that also, if you know your players well which is not always the case but even as you get to know them you'll probably have an understanding of 
if they're excited to see their favorite media franchises represented in your campaign, or if they sort of object to that on principle, right? And I think that it can go either way in the sense of you learn what they like and dislike. And if they want to see that represented, if I pop this character that you really hate in, is that good shorthand to get you to hate this big bad, right? I also think maybe we should touch on like, sometimes you sit down to play a classic game of Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeons and also Dragons included. And somebody's like, I'm Katara, my name's Katara, right? <laughs> um, and so sometimes you have sort of the, not the inverse problem, but you sort of, regardless of how derivative you've set out to be, um, somebody shows up to your to your campaign with Luke Cloud Runner, right? Like, and so how do you how do you deal with that? So yeah, I think feedback from from your players and anybody else that could possibly be associated with it, or even outside of the the realm of it, if they're like relatively interested in the thing that you're possibly going and considering a D campaign about. Uh, I think that would be something that you could probably you should go and consult them about. When it comes to Ali's point on you know somebody comes up with a Luke crowd, uh, Cloud Runner, I think realistically that you can sort of allow them to play that trope, but manage it in a way that still fits your world. Like for instance, in a campaign that I'm currently running, they we have a player whose name is Shifu, like from Kung Fu Kung Fu Panda. Oh no. Yeah, he's quite literally Master Sifu, and we almost had a, uh, an Uguay as well. I'm not kidding. Uh, it, it would have been a fantastic run-through just to add that little extra bit of hilarity or that extra little bit of individuality from the player in themselves that would allow them to have a little bit of more fun with their campaign, as long as their characters still can, you know, exist in your world. So... If they want to play as Shifu, make it to the point of where Shifu is still not in the point of where he's, you know, the most overpowered thing in the entire, uh, in your entire world. Because in Kung Fu Panda, Shifu's ridiculously good at martial arts and can beat up most people. But in your D&D campaign, you can't have him be that level of skill. You can still have him be good at martial arts, but to a point of not, to a point of realistic levels. So it allows for more fun for that individual player and you can still run along with that idea, maybe throw some Kung Fu Panda lore into your uh, campaign because that just gives you more excuse to do so to the point of where it's not going to break your game to have that character in there. You talk about Kung Fu Panda like I talked about Disney Pixar's Cars. And I'm the one who got hate for it. I was on Disney Pixar Cars side. It's fine. I thought I made it really clear that my problem was with cars. Um, So I don't care if you do it about Kung Fu Panda. That's a great movie. Cars is not. Cars two yet doesn't mean you can judge the whole the franchise is bad. I would like to greatly pivot back onto topic. I had an actual response, by the way. <laughs> Everyone was laughing, but half of the party was muted. I just want that to be on the record. <laughs> but also, um, now my actual point. Ah, feedback? Good. My system for feedback uh, is I'll have separate third party be like, hey, you are my idea guy or gal. 
I'm going to throw all my ideas at you. You're going to tell me that none of them are trash except for the ones that are. And my, my concepts are all going to evolve together and it's going to be very nice. And this person is not at all related to D&D because I don't want to spoil the entire campaign for someone who's potentially playing the campaign. Then we go to the player group. I don't tell them like anything before we start. This is partly because I didn't understand or I wasn't introduced to the concept of a session zero. So I was just throwing people into the game. My feedback from players was, okay, the quest ended. What did you think? What did I do well? What did you really like? What did you not like? And usually what would happen is good quests got a bunch of positive feedback, almost no negative feedback. And if it was a bad session, then I got all the bad comments and like nothing good. <laughs> and really in terms of gaining feedback, you want a balance of both, but there's always gonna be a bad session. So when you do have one, make sure to really understand what went wrong so that you could not do it again. And I mean, it'll happen again, but like, don't do it <laughs> intentionally, I guess. Um, this feels like we're not really talking about inspiration as much anymore. I feel like most inspiration happens before the game ever starts. And yeah, you do get some as the game develops and grows. I think one major source of inspiration that we didn't talk about that can come before is bad sources of inspiration like taking something that you hate and making it better like cars <laughs> i'm gonna lose it i don't think you can make it any better it's an example you understand of like if i like i've watched media that i have not enjoyed but i still try to find the positive in it and i still see like okay but this is kind of cool I want to use this small thing, or this could be better. Oh, this is why it's better. I should use that. Like, this is why it would be better. This is what it's missing. Actually, I think that using stuff like that as a source of inspiration is almost probably, I don't know, almost maybe actually better than using things that you like because then you really are a lot less likely to be called on, oh, you, you stole this from this other thing because one usually the thing is so bad that they would never expect it and two generally inherently part of the process is you fundamentally transforming it into a way that kind of works and so there is still a bit of that creative process and that you know the that injected love that we were talking about that's involved here I would disagree with that using cars as an example. I think if you went and took cars and you're like, I'm going to make a better cars. And you're like, okay, you got to play anthropomorphic cars or race cars. And uh-oh, you get abandoned in a place known as um, Carburetor Canyon. Uh, what do you do? People are going to know that you're just ripping off cars. It doesn't matter just because it was it was middling. People know. I think the important distinction is that bit of love that Sam was talking about and that Ali mentioned earlier. If it's something that you like, then you're more likely to just steal it outright. Versus if it's something that you hate, you want to fix what's missing. Because you can't just like slap a layer of paint over it. You need to change something fundamental about it for it to work. 
So another thing is if you are taking from something worse, it's it's happened to like I've only GM two like lawn form campaigns before. Uh, and both times I thought I was ripping off a thing that was really bad. And they went, hey, are you ripping off this thing that now that I mention it, it totally sounds like you are. That's way better than what you actually ripped it off of. That's a totally possible. That, that's a very possible thing. Uh, case in point with a, with a carburetor canyon. That's like Fallout New Vegas. Like you, you described it. And I'm like, wait. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a random guy who is racing around, dropping stuff off like a carrier. And I end up in a place so someone might very well look at you go we're in a desert we're dropped off in the middle i know what we're doing and just say yes because they'll screw with them later <laughs> i have to agree my favorite part of fallout was when i got to play as an anthropomorphic car okay aside from the anthropomorphic car but uh everything else so a bit of a pivot for inspiration how do you feel about sequels and basically using your previous campaign and what your players did to fuel the next campaign and what happens and what inspires the world to change. I've always wanted to do one, but I have never found a way to make it happen because I think you have to have something really special and to expand upon, which your first campaign might've been special. Uh, everyone likes to think that their campaigns are special, but also do you have something to expand upon? A lot of the times when you write a thing, you, you directly cap it off, but if you have a lot of time and you're planning, you can totally try and set it up to have one. Because also, if you're pulling inspiration from something that has a sequel, depending on how closely you followed it, it's very likely that you have at least could be. And I do think it's important to note, we're talking about inspiration from a previous campaign in creating a sequel, not necessarily the merit of sequels themselves. We're talking about the merit of using an original to inspire a sequel? What parts of the original would you use to inspire the sequel rather than a plan? Yeah, so rather than planning a sequel, hey, this campaign was oh, oh, I is see. there parts of it that I can take and inspire a sequel using? I, I think I might have misinterpreted it a bit. Just to make sure I'm, I'm answering the right question, what you're asking is how... Because I think I was answering your question before where uh, you have an original campaign that you thought was really great and special and then you make a sequel. Yeah, it's so an unplanned sequel that's inspired by a good first campaign. Yeah, so, oh, so you're saying only built off the first... I, I would say that my my stuff still holds uh, then. Like, my, my answer is still the same. If you had inspirations for the first campaign, they are still relevant in the second campaign. And look at if there's an inspiration of that first inspiration point see what plot points are left open because uh, that could be a roadmap for you to follow as well or um perhaps there is another really annoying thing from your original inspiration like han solo flew some parsecs uh and people got really <laughs> mad about it <laughs> maybe just lean into it and totally don't get called out as hey are you just trying to pretend you do like what was going on the whole time and then you say no um, so I made my campaign direct sequel. Uh, I love me some sequels. I love me some spinoffs. I have uh, a list of rules for both of those things uh, that I haven't formally written down, but I probably should. In my sequels, uh, stories should be have a sense of independence from each other. Like while the first campaign like mattered, established a lot of stuff. If you were to be dropped in campaign two, you should have enough of an understanding of uh, 
Like there should be enough room for you to not understand anything and still have a good time. That's what I mean. And stuff like new characters, like new party members. Old characters can reappear, but we want a new party to focus on. Will we see the old characters? I made like one cameo and that was kind of the extent and it was more about the actions of the previous party that inspired and impacted the second campaign. As someone who I haven't GM'd one, but I've I've played in a sequel campaign, so I can definitely give the player side perspective here. I would definitely hardline, yeah, new party, old party should be served for cameos only. Because if you did the first campaign right, their stories are resolved. And trying to make a new story with these fully resolved characters is going to be difficult. Just having, like, finding the same, like, trajectory of growth. Because, yeah, because because of how much they've already grown, either they're going to be growing much slower in this second campaign or just in a completely different direction, thus making them different characters anyway. Because I did try uh, playing the same character. Uh, it's very tempting because you get very attached. But yeah, I found my, that my arc kind of stagnated very quickly. And I just kind of receded into the background. Short of like having new characters, I really feel like anything goes when designing new characters or sorry a new campaign as far as like you can really take a lot of stuff all you really need because all the hard work is done like you have this world your players have an understanding of the gimmicks and like how the world works the mechanics you really just need new new characters and a new plot one thing for that i found is very effective is taking a side plot or a spin-off almost and hey these characters that were briefly in it well, their lives got totally changed when the party came to town. We're going to branch off with them and use their that like five minutes in the previous campaign as inspiration. Yeah, going off of that, I remembered I was going to say my, my last element. Uh, expanding on old ideas. Campaign one, comedy adventure, mind you. Fantasy setting, like medieval, straight up Europe, right? 1300, whatever. There were elements of time travel that were just kind of, you know... It was magic. Hand wave it. We have time travel, right? Campaign two, expand that. That took up like half the campaign. Like, oh, we're dealing with the end of the world. World War Three is going to happen in the year 3025. We're going back in time to fantasy land to try and stop whatever causes it eventually. Comedy. <laughs> you need to make Anton's eyebrows rise off of his face <laughs> if you keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my eyebrows were um, they they were achieving liftoff. Uh, <laughs> Anybody have any topics that they'd like to cover? So, uh, literature versus movies versus uh, other forms of media, because those are my oh. two main. Oh yes, and game. So, so, like, what's the top tier inspiration source? For what parts as well, because I definitely, I have different thoughts on them depending on what I'm doing, what I'm looking for. Because I guess I'll just start, because this may clarify. <laughs> I was just going to say, this seems like a rabbit hole that could be gone down for quite a while, considering we could go through basically every source ever, <laughs> and then go through every possible use of that source. <laughs> 
So I think it might be best to keep it surface level with what's everybody's favorite source to use and where. Like specific, like like a franchise is what you're looking for. Franchise or just type, like I like movies and using them to get characters or something. Gotcha. This isn't actually my favorite, but I'm going to try and get the representation it deserves. Fight scenes and things like Castlevania for fluff text. Because everyone talks a big game about where, where stories and stuff come from. But hey, sometimes you need someone to swing a sword in a really interesting way. <laughs> uh, and it adds a lot of flavor. So go out there and watch some anime. Watch, like I already said, Castlevania is really good for fantasy. Uh, and yeah, uh, you either come back and say I was dumb, or you can tell me that I wasn't. Uh, my go-to is books for settings, because books are very, very good at using words. And words are what you use to describe settings. I like a good setting. Once you have a good setting, like that's where everything will take place. The, once you have the setting, the, the players can do whatever they want. That's their problem. Your job is to provide the setting, and I think books are really good at teaching you how to do that, and in a pinch, stealing a good setting. House of Leaves. My main form of inspiration would definitely happen to be documentaries, uh, and that is definitely for settings as well. Because of the fact that I get a, I'm a visual person in that regard, seeing a visual representation of what my setting is going to look like, I then can come up with the words to be able to give my players the way uh, that sense of wonder that I achieved looking through like watching that documentary for the first time and it also allows me to come up with you know branch off into the different plot points of different of different things going full circle to team emilio let's go <laughs> for me my number one inspiration point is songs and i use it to get the general vibe of a campaign before i start building it so like a villain campaign like a super villain campaign Sometimes you just you listen to a song and you're like, whoa, everybody plays supervillains, like comic book level, mustache twirling supervillains. And you just go from there. And I've found great fun in doing that. I feel like my experience is like books and literature for themes and film and animation for characters specifically is like mannerisms, like for acting which I really struggle with I feel like I've like mentioned it multiple times as if it's something I try to do as a DM I don't try to do it but when I'm asked to do it I really have to rely on inspiration because there's no skill base there otherwise so I think like for character mannerisms or behaviors or even sort of as a lineup of like these motivations result in these actions film and media because that is the closest medium to how I am coming to my my film and animation sorry because that's the closest to how I'm coming to my players as sort of a talking head. I also think games in general, like for me, for like pacing and like for mechanics, like mini games and stuff, I'm just going to rip those from video games. That's three, but I feel like they're all very specific purposes. And I sort of understand where each of them come into my work, usually. I really like looking at art for inspiration for characters, um, especially because like, for me, when I'm designing a character, I will draw them before I even come up with anything else about them, like their name, their personality. No, I have to draw them first. I don't know why, but uh, to me, I think especially in good concept art, 
the personality of a character really comes through even just by looking at them. So even if I don't use the same character design, I can extrapolate a personality just based on the way their characters look and I can assign that to one of my own characters. To me, characters kind of fill the same function that settings do in Cole's campaigns. I think people are the foundation of my stories and conflicts. So I would call myself a bit of a gamer, if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, so video cool. games. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even keep a straight face. I like video games. I don't like reading. I should read more, but instead I play video games. <laughs> um, I tend to take stories from video games. That is, is it is uh, the medium I am most familiar with, the one I engage with most. And really to non-gamers, if I want to use that term. Stories in video games can be underappreciated as a medium, generally, uh, because games are for kids and they're violent and they... whatever, right? All the bad video game stuff that people say. But I think a, a better way to utilize inspiration from video games would be mechanics and gimmicks, because RPGs, D&D is a tabletop RPG. <laughs> So if you look at uh, RPGs just generally, there are a lot of systems that you could use that could really easily be translated into tabletop form if given like some thought, like uh, just two examples, like Pokemon, your combat system is turn-based. You have a list of uh, types and each one has a weakness and a resistance. And depending on that, you will do a certain amount of damage. And RPG elements, you could put that into tabletop. It would be complex, I mean, to make a bunch of monsters, but go ahead and do it if you want. Uh, or Persona, really great RPG system with a similar type-based damage system. But the edge that this system has is that if you do a super effective hit, the enemy is knocked down and you get to attack again. And if you knock down all the enemies, your whole team doesn't attack and does extra damage. That would be really cool in a tabletop form. Team attacks? Cool. Alright, well, sounds like everybody's gotten in their word of what their favorite is. Any closing remarks, Cole? Oh, it's on me. <laughs> um... I mean, you're, you are the lord of this campaign. You are the campaign DM. And by campaign, I mean podcasts. <laughs> I don't know. I think we did a good job, uh, even though my template ended up being very useless. I did chop it to bits. Yes, it was chopped to bits. You were inspired from it. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I rough my case. Wow. I think so that's meta. the full circle that we should end on. Here Thanks we for go. tuning in that. to this episode <laughs> of Rogue Wizard Bard Podcast. Catch you next time.